Sometimes we assume that serving God requires a seminary degree. We think that making an impact in the church is for professionals, the clergy, brilliant speakers with persuasive communication skills. But when we read the book of Acts, we're quick to see that God uses clay pots, earthen vessels for His glory. Today on Insight for Living, you'll hear Chuck Swindoll conclude a message introduced earlier this week. We'll be reminded that even our weakness, our flaws, become instruments for demonstrating God's power. We'll pick up the study in Acts 22. Chuck titled today's message with a question. Can ordinary people make a contribution? I want to warn you, when you begin to get involved in ministry, you suffer some of the consequences. Go back to Paul's own words, Acts chapter 22, verse 4. He's giving his testimony to one of the officials. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Hey, that's real. That's a real prison. And we're talking persecution. Blood, death, imprisonment. The horrors of loss. When that rock of persecution hit the lake and the ripples began to move away from it, there was witnessing, there was evangelizing, there was the preaching of the gospel, not by the officials, but by the the saints that were now in circulation. Believe me, believe me, folks just like you and me, just ordinary folks. Chapter 9 is the story of what? Well, if you ask most Bible students, they'll tell you the conversion of Saul. That's only nine verses. This chapter takes uh, 43 verses to finish, and only the first nine have to do with Saul's conversion. The rest is the work of Laman. In fact, a very particular Laman does a unique, unlikely job after Saul's conversion. So let's not capitalize on the obvious. Let's look at the, what we would call the insignificant. Verse 10 of chapter 9. We've seen a layman burying the dead. We've seen a layman preaching the gospel. Let's see what else he does. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I want to guarantee you won't read of Ananias as an apostle in the first eight uh, chapters of the book of Acts. He's a nobody. God said to him one day in a vision, he said, Ananias, yeah, behold, here am I, Lord. Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man. All right, got it. Named Saul. Oh, no, not Saul. He's praying. What? He's seen a vision. And a man with your name is to come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Who, me? (laughs) Talk to Saul? He kills people. You don't want me to go talk to Saul? Relax, Ananias. Just go. He went. God says, he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ah. That I understand. I'll never be useful before kings. I'll never be known before the greats. But suffering, that's my bag. I can talk to a man that's going to suffer. So what does he do? 
I love this approach. Verse 17. The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you were coming. He sent me to you that you regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight. He arose and was baptized. I don't think Ananias could believe it. It's too good to be true. Fixed him a meal and Saul ate and and he was strengthened. The third unlikely thing for the layman is to disciple and encourage a gifted individual. Who is Ananias? Nobody. You won't read him. I looked him up in the great Old Testament characters by Alexander White. Doesn't even list him. Great New Testament characters. Couldn't find him there. He's not there. I mean, he's got how many chapters on Paul? On Paul? Six, seven, eight? None on Ananias. But it was Ananias who told him, you're going to have your sight. You're going to suffer a lot. Well, let's eat together and let's talk about what's in front of you. It's not all. Verse 19 says, several days Saul was with disciples who were at Damascus. What'd they do? We don't know. But they began to rap about the future, about the gospel. I mean, here was Saul. He was like a little baby. He, all new Christians are like that. Now listen, friends, the, the, the executive may look really well-dressed. Three-piece suit, tie, ex, you know, six-digit figure, entrepreneur, g- creative. But if he's just come to know the Savior, he's a little baby. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's so ignorant about spiritual things. I mean, here's a Chuck Colson who steps in the scene of the born-again world. And there's a Doug Coe that slips in behind and says, Chuck, we've got to get together. And it meshes. Man, we look at Chuck Colson today and he's still the, one of the great lights. And we think, ooh, wow. Don't forget, behind the scene is a whole network of disciples who wouldn't let Chuck Colson go. Can you do that? What does it take? You fix a hamburger? Fix him some food? You got 24 hours in a day? I never bet anybody that didn't. You got a little bit of time each week you can do that with somebody? Go! See, there's nothing magical that happens when you get off the boat in Africa. People have this strange idea. You walk down the gangplank and there are a lot of people waving flags say, help me. Come talk to me about Jesus. So glad you're here. It doesn't work like that. If you're not doing it here, you for sure won't be doing it there. Or South America or Alaska. You name it. How about across the street? How about next door? How about in this church? How about in your small group fellowship? Spending time with somebody else so that they're going to be stronger? That's the ministry. I am where I am today because there was an Ananias who helped get the scales off my eyes. And I thank God on every remembrance of Bob Newkirk who loved me when I didn't even love myself. Well, he began to travel and 
tell people about the Savior. He's the Son of God. Verse 21, as you expect, persecution arose. Now the former friends become enemies. Time for another ordinary man task. Watch it happen. 21, all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, isn't this the one in Jerusalem that destroyed those who called on its name and who come here for the purpose of, and has come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? I mean, isn't this the, the, the killer of Christians? Yeah. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews that lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, what happens? They don't like it. And his old cronies began to think, hey, he's going to do us a disservice. He's hurting the message. Let's put an end to his life. Verse 23, they put a hitman on him. Many days had elapsed. The Jews plotted together to do away with him. Their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. But I kind of want to go, da-da-da-da-da, here comes ordinary man. Verse 25 The disciples took him by night, watch, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Big deal. Wait a minute before you mouth off like that. Check Paul's autobiography in 2 Corinthians 11. See how he winds up the list of all of those persecutions by saying, and I was let down in a basket by a wall. Why? I mean, he's got a hundred things he could have told about his adventures, and he mentions this one. He was probably never more helpless, never more dependent, never more vulnerable, never more in need of an ordinary man. And he slumped into that basket, rope basket, apparently, and there were several guys that said, Oh, come on, let him down slowly. You okay, Saul? Yeah. See you later. We're praying, man. Thanks, guys. Can you hold a rope? How's that for a basic requirement? You don't even need a master's degree to hold a rope. You know when, when uh, William Carey went to India, he came back and he said to the men who were looking at that vast territory of India, he says, I will go down if you will hold a ropes. Can you name one of those men? No, you can't. But you know William Carey like you know the lines in the palm of your hand because he's a statesman. He's a hot dog. He's a well-known figure in the world of missions. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but everybody talks about William Carey. I want to know the guys that held a rope. Because if he hadn't held a rope, he'd have gone, boom. And then I wondered, what kind of missionary operation is that? The guy spilled out all over the ground. What was he saying? Give me your money. Dig down deep. Give like crazy. And I'll go. I'll spend my life. I'll die there if necessary. You just hold on to the ropes. You give your money to missions. You give your money to the work of the ministry. Give it. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer, in prayer victorious, and all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Let the basket down. Get a hold of the rope. Help them out. I know you're not, all of you are not called, but you're all called to hold ropes. So am I. They lowered him in a basket, and he talked about it for the rest of his life. Oh. 
Little people, depends on whether you're in the basket or not. (laughs) I mean, if there's nobody to hold the ropes, I don't want to be in the basket. But what happened when he hit the ground and ran to Jerusalem? I'm glad you asked. There's one more. Look carefully. Verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Now, see, they hadn't heard about Damascus yet. I mean, if they had heard, it had been garbled. Grapevine is always garbled, always exaggerated, always inaccurate. So they had heard, well, he's a killer. I mean, he is wild. He's deceptive. You can't trust him. He's one of those so-called hothouse conversions. Watch out for Saul when he comes to Jerusalem. He couldn't associate with the disciples. They were afraid of him. Not believing he was a disciple, but Barnabas. Ever heard of Barnabas? Well, he's into real estate. You go back to chapter 4, you'll see Barnabas owned a piece of land. He gave some of it and encouraged somebody back there. And he comes on the scene here and he hears that Saul's in town. He thinks, I bet he could use some encouragement. And so he comes up to Saul and he makes him successful. That's another calling. Bury the dead, preach the gospel, disciple gifted individuals, help a few people survive. That's the fourth. And now we've got a man making someone else successful. Barnabas, whose middle name could have been Oily, because he took all the friction out of these relationships. Oh, Barnabas said, hey, Saul, man, Let me speak for you. They they believe me. 26. They were afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. Can you picture that? Hey, I want you to meet uh, Saul. He's one of us. Hey, Peter, I want you to meet Saul. Saul's true. He's in the family. James, this is Saul. It's credible. I put my name on the line. And then he pushed Saul into the scene, and Saul became successful. In fact, when the whole thing broke out in chapter 11 at Antioch, go over there right quick. We're all through. When it comes to Antioch, the grace of God, verse 23, there's rejoicing. He encourages them all. There he is again. There's Barnabas encouraging those saints. And he looks around, and this place is alive with possibilities. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Now you'd think, hey, I'm going to capitalize on this. I'm going to raise a shrine, Barnabas Evangelical Church. No, no. Next verse, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. You believe it? And he says, Saul, you've got to come help me out. Man, there's a lot of stuff to do there. You're so gifted. Verse 26, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And then when they took that first missionary journey, guess who went? Barnabas and Paul, and guess who came back? Paul and Barnabas. They had done a flip-flop, and Barnabas just kept holding him up. Can you do that? Certainly. Can you do that? That's one of the highest callings in the world is to make someone else successful. You're in an assistant role in some place. 
you're working alongside someone else that's being used, make them successful. Get out of the way. Stand firm in that commitment. You've got a saw on your hands. Let it go. You'll have some of your disciples outrun you. They'll out, start to say outstreak you. I didn't mean it that way. They'll just go right on beyond you and you'll see them. You'll watch their dust in the distance. Just keep going. I think of the faculty in the seminary, the faculty in a Bible school. I think of a group of laymen in a church like this. They see those students come in and go and then they, they're launched in the air. And man, I think those Faithful men and women applauding that work, seeing it happen. They watch the dust as those disciples dis, uh, ascend. That's your calling. Make them successful. When Dawson Trotman died, having founded the Navigator organization, a ministry committed to discipleship, he died in Scroon Lake up there at Word of Life Camp. The boat took a turn and one of the gals that couldn't swim fell over the side and Trotman dived in and lifted her up out of the water and they pulled her up in the boat. And then when he reached his hands up, one of the men on the boat said the entire United States Navy couldn't have saved Dawson Trotman that day. It was his time. Some of you may have gone to his funeral service. I, I missed it. I, I read about it. Time magazine ran an article on it. Had his picture and a caption underneath his picture that said, Dawson Trotman always holding somebody up. That's true missionary service. There's no reason to drag out and make passionate and emotional an ending to a talk like this. Don't talk yourself out of serving the Lord because you're not apostle material. They weren't either, and he made them apostles. Don't talk yourself out of being available to the Lord Jesus because you haven't been to seminary or because your husband isn't a deacon or because you've never been officially on the board or because you've lost your mate and you've got a house full of kids to raise or because you've got a stormy past. I mean, is it worse than a Christian killer? Get at it! Roll up your sleeves, take advantage of the moment right now and go for it! And don't look back. But I got news for you. It's going, to get, it's going to be contagious. And you'll never be satisfied in a little bubble of selfishness anymore. I want to tell you before you jump out of it, it's going to change your life. <laughs> It'll change your life. Let's bow together, please. I never really know what God says to certain people in a message like this, but I sense today He has for the first time in a long time gotten some attention, some of you. There are no little people and there are no big people in the family of God. They're just people, ordinary folks, young and old, scarred, fragile, broken, bruised, struggling, learning people. You're surrounded by a world of need. Don't wait for another thing. You don't need some vision. You just need a swift kick in the pants. Today, the Spirit of God has shown you it can happen with just plain people like us. Now's the time to talk to somebody. 
Talk to our missions board. Talk to our missions pastor. Talk to our staff. Talk to your friend. Talk to the person that's helping you grow. Talk to your teacher. Try it out this summer. Don't wait. It'll change your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the ordinary people in our lives that have made a significant contribution. I want to thank you for those people whom we today probably could not even name because they helped us so many years ago, but what a major role they have filled in our lives. I want to thank you also, Lord, for using us, ordinary people, to touch someone else's life. There may have been people like Dawson Trotman who always held other people up. There may have been great people as well, like Jim Elliott and Hudson Taylor and William Carey and Cam Townsend and even the Apostle Paul, George Mueller. But we're not in that league, Lord. We're just simple folks. It's easy for us to think that because we're not who they were, we're really not that important. But as a matter of fact, in your family, a blended family of just simple people, we have a place to fill. We have a role to play. And I pray for all who may be discouraged today that you would use this message to lift their spirits and remind them of the significant place you may have for them in the body of Christ. And may they not be afraid to step out and to use their gifts in some simple way to bring encouragement and inspiration to someone else. Finally, Father, I pray for those who have never come to Christ, and I ask that you would cause the words that have been spoken to find a place in their lives where they are seated deeply in their hearts. They begin to bear fruit. They begin to realize that what I've said about other people really could be said about them if they were only in your family. And I pray that you will use whatever it takes to bring them to a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, together we thank you for him who loved us and gave himself for us, just ordinary people for whom he died. We praise you, our Father, for him and for the role he has filled in the lives of millions down through the centuries, including our own. In the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Master, our God, we pray. Amen. The title of today's message from Chuck Swindoll is a question. Can ordinary people make a contribution? The answer, of course, is a profound yes. You're listening to Insight for Living. Find us online at insightworld.org. But ministry, while it may be rewarding, isn't necessarily a walk in the park. Sometimes we go through periods of disappointment, even conflict. Well, there's a special resource we'd like you to own. It's a book called The Way of Lament. Chuck? Most of us are fairly good at celebrating milestones, whether it's a promotion, a graduation, or the birth of a child. We know how to come alongside those we love and revel in their joy. However, when someone we love becomes the victim of suffering and loss, we often don't know what we ought to say. 
Frankly, we feel awkward when in the private spaces of those who grieve. Well, while some may shrink back from involving themselves in those sacred appointments, they are really missing out on one of the great blessings that God has for us. If you need any proof, just open your Bible to the book of Psalms. From start to finish, we read about the intimate encounters between disillusioned people and their loving, compassionate God. Insight for Living's pastor to the United Kingdom, Dr. Terry Boyle, has written a new book. It's called The Way of Lament, a biblical approach to God in times of pain. I highly recommend his book to you. Whether consoling those you love or finding ways to express your own personal angst to God, you'll find biblical wisdom and great insight in Terry's book, The Way of Lament. To get a copy of the book, The Way of Lament, contact Insight for Living today. It's available when you give a donation of any amount. And please don't let the size of your donation become a barrier to requesting Terry Boyle's book. Your contribution, large or small, truly makes a difference. Chuck's teaching on this station is made possible as all of us draw together toward a common goal, to share the good news of God's Word as widely and deeply as possible. If you're listening in the United States, call us at 1-800-772-8888 or online go to insight.org. If you're listening in the United States, our phone number again is 1-800-772-8888. And if you'd like to automate your giving to Insight for Living, we'd love to welcome you as one of our monthly companions. The process is simple by going to insight.org slash monthly companion. I'm Dave Spiker. Chuck Swindoll series Questions Christians Ask continues Monday on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Can Ordinary People Make a Contribution, was copyrighted in 1983 and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2013 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.